Have you ever failed a test? It can be a sickening feeling. Perhaps there was a time when you forgot a test was on a certain day and you showed up and, surprise, you're not ready. Or perhaps uh, you failed other kinds of tests, uh, the, the kinds of tests in the classroom of life. You didn't know that a particular moment would be especially significant and your characters and abilities were put to the test. In our study of Matthew, we're going to look at a decently long piece of text, uh, 2669 to 2710. But I want us to consider such a large portion because it provides us the opportunity to look at a bunch of failures. And when we read this passage, we'll be reminded that we aren't the only ones who fail epically. But reading about these failures in conjunction with one another will help us compare and contrast these different characters. Let's start in verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, uh, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple sanctuary, since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together, and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which is spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, and they took the thirty pieces of silver the price of the one whose price had been set on me by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. 
But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having scourged Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. The first failure in our text is Peter. And we have seen in our study so far uh, that Peter has had his moments of weakness, like failing to walk on the water and uh, swiping at uh, the the high priest's servant's ear. But for the most part, Matthew describes Peter in significantly positive terms. In fact, we've been keeping our eye out occasionally throughout these podcasts, uh, throughout these episodes, for the theme of greatness in the kingdom. And Peter is one who is clearly not only in the kingdom, but one who is great there. The other disciples are probably included, but we are specifically told that Peter is the rock upon whom the Lord Jesus would build his church. As we read in chapter 19, he, in contrast to the rich young ruler, had left everything to follow Jesus. Furthermore, as we have been studying Matthew, it has become clear that Jesus is very concerned about enduring through trials and has warned his disciples in pretty uh, stark language of the dangers of falling away. For example, in 1033, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And then in verse 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And yet, though Jesus has warned Peter that the test is surely coming, and that the test is important, and we know that Peter himself has shown himself to be an A student, Peter fails. He denies the Lord. The denials, in fact, increase in their intensity from, I don't know what you're talking about, to all the way to denying with an oath, uh, which, by the way, Matthew has recorded Jesus warning people don't use oaths. Um, And then in verse 74, he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. Now, this swearing and cursing doesn't specify a direct object, uh, but the best explanation is that Jesus is the assumed object. So, not only does Peter deny Jesus, but he curses him as well. And instead of following, he actually gets further and further away, the courtyard, the gateway, and then eventually we read that Peter goes out. Furthermore, this this test is not as hard as one would have expected. It seems like an easy quiz. It's only an innocent observation by two servant girls and then by a bystander. Hey, you were with Jesus. Now, we're not exactly sure what's going on in Peter's mind. 
Maybe at this point, the sayings about carrying one's cross and following Jesus finally click, and Peter realizes Jesus wasn't speaking metaphorically. Following Jesus actually meant death. Picking up your cross is a literal cross. But whatever his reason, the important thing to see here is that Peter chokes, just like Jesus said he would. He responds by weeping bitterly. And this is the last time Matthew writes the name Peter. Now, having said that, he will later reference the 11 disciples, and Jesus will say, uh, go to my brothers. Peter's restoration here is implied, and the fact that it isn't narrated may just be due to the fact that he was uh, such a prominent voice in the church that people just knew that the story doesn't end there. But from the perspective of Matthew's gospel, there's an important lesson here. Even great disciples fail. Now, Jesus doesn't make allowance for this in his teaching. Like, you're allowed to mess up one out of every four times or something like that. But the story shows that in real life, even the greatest leaders fall. So, Christian leaders, be vigilant. Never let your guard down. Don't stop praying. Perhaps if Peter had not failed earlier, when Jesus told him to watch and pray, and he failed those three times there in the garden, that he would not have uh, entered into this particular temptation and had fallen at this point. But, you know, from another angle, this also shows that we should limit our expectations of Christian leaders. You know, we should not be completely crushed when Christian leaders fall short. Ultimately, our faith is not in Peter or Paul or a pastor. Our our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone, amidst all these failures, passes this ultimate test. The second failure is Judas. Comparing him to Peter, he actually shows more signs of remorse, which I suppose is right given the higher severity of his betrayal. He not only is filled with grief, verse 3, but but he also seeks somehow to make restitution. He returns the 30 pieces of silver. His grief is so great that it swallows him in despair, and he hangs himself. The betrayal of Judas is pretty bleak. He parallels Ahithophel, who betrayed David by siding with Absalom. In fact, the words, he went out and hanged himself, are the same as what we read in the Septuagint of 2 Samuel 17.23, recording that same story. And then he ends up, uh, that, that money is used to buy the field of blood, which traditionally is located near the bottom of the valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. So all of this then is somehow connected with the place that's associated with hell. Unlike with Peter, there's no light of hope for Judas. His end is described in pretty grisly terms, and then, well, that's it. Now, now all of this doesn't come from what he's done. Uh, his betrayal was severe, but apparently Jesus is willing to forgive Peter. In fact, Jesus had said earlier in 1231, all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. The fault doesn't lie in his remorse or repentance from a certain standpoint either. He actually is genuinely sorry for what he's done, and he wants to take it back. 
Now, the text isn't explicit here, but it seems to me like the problem is not so much his repentance, but it's his faith. He is grieved over his actions, yes, but so grieved that he doesn't believe that forgiveness is still an option. He doesn't have that faith that Jesus is the Savior who has come to save his people from their sins. He views himself as beyond all hope, and therefore is. The next failure in our text is Pilate. He, like Peter and Judas, knows what's right. Whereas Peter fails because of his perceived persecution, and Judas fails because of his grief, Pilate fails because of pressure. He is like that person described earlier who walked into the classroom and, surprise, it was test day. For him, this was just another day of going to the office. And he's unprepared to make the commitment that he knows is right. He is too concerned about his job, his reputation, and satisfying people. This is a strange concern since at other times, Pilate was quite brutal. We get a good deal of information about him from extra-biblical sources, particularly from Josephus. Uh, who retells a time when Pilate has soldiers, uh, Roman soldiers, hidden in a Jewish crowd at a revolt, and then at his signal releases the soldiers to draw their swords and just start killing people. So he definitely has a record of being brutal and cruel and not caring about Jewish sensibilities. And yet Josephus also tells uh, of a time when the Jewish people object to the presence of Roman standards in the temple, and so Pilate takes them down. So in some circumstances, he gives in to the desires of the people, and sometimes he doesn't. Pilate has a fascinating role in the telling of this story. He doesn't want to condemn Jesus, but he doesn't want to pay the price of siding with Jesus either. He constantly tries to get out of making a decision. He constantly tries to pass the buck, but that won't work when it comes to Jesus. And this is the important lesson. A person cannot avoid making a decision when it comes to Jesus. A personal choice must be made. Side with him no matter the cost or don't.